0: But ultimately, you've got to be prepared to just kind of make that decision on the spot. If you overanalyze everything and overthink it, you're never going to knock out that first deal and you're never going to get to that second deal.
1: Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with $1 million to $100 million assets under management. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Farrell. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Tyler Caglia. How you doing, Tyler?
0: Good, Joe. Good to be here.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that. And it is nice to have you here. A little bit about Tyler. He's a full-time project manager managing multi-million dollar projects for a civil construction company. He's based in Clovis, California. He's been investing for 10 months. He currently owns three long distance single family rentals based in Ohio. With that being said, Tyler, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: Yeah, Joe. So I've always been interested in real estate, but living in California, as we all know, it's very expensive and the conditions can be unfavorable for landlords. So about a year ago, I discovered the Best Ever podcast. I recognize that. Yeah, as well as Bigger Pockets, and I read, as everyone seems to do, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was hooked from there. So I kind of realized how accessible real estate can be, and I was determined to jump in. And right away, started buying long-distance properties, and here, 10 months later, I've got three in Columbus, Ohio. So talk us through how you ended up there. I've kind of got a five-step strategy that I outlined a little bit. Oh, Nice. Not just for finding Columbus, but just for deciding on my strategy overall. Okay, please. Yeah, good. So I kind of started with education, obviously, which there's plenty of great books out there, podcasts, like I've already said, and I've done a lot of research. I identified a strategy was my second step. So with California being so expensive, I wanted to go long distance. I think most people are familiar with the Burr strategy, which I felt like yep. was most attractive. And I wanted to self-manage before I hired a property manager so I could understand the whole process, what I'm looking for. For funding, I took out a HELOC on my primary residence. Okay. Are we still on
1: number two, identify strategy, or are we on three, funding?
0: Sorry. So number three would be funding. Okay. So I took out a HELOC on my primary residence. All right. And, and how we- much was the HELOC for? I found a HELOC that was 100% loan-to-value. <laughs> I ended up getting, due to some natural and forced appreciation of my personal residence, I was able to get one for 100000 Okay. So that was really cool. It took a while to find a lender that would do that. But once I did, it was a pretty easy process.
1: Let's talk about that a little bit, and then we'll go to four. Natural and forced appreciation on your primary residence... What did you buy it for? And I assume it appraised for a hundred thousand, right? Since it was a hundred percent?
0: Well, they allowed me to go up to a hundred percent. So I was at about eighty percent with my primary oh, mortgage. Got it, got it. Yep. So the HELOC covered that other twenty percent. Okay.
1: So you got twenty thousand dollars?
0: No, sorry. So basically my balance due on my mortgage was uh-huh. 240000 two forty. Okay. My home appraised for three forty.
1: Understood. Every other person who's on this listening was understanding it except for me. So it was my bad. Got it. So you have a $100,000 line of credit and you had a mortgage on it. And the line of credit allowed you to go up to 100% of the loan to value you had in this case, it was like 240 to 340, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: All right, cool. I'm with you. So you said that there was forced depreciation. What did you do?
0: So with my construction background, I've kind of utilized that to do a lot of, and I know it's more difficult to do forced appreciation for a single family home, but we've done a lot of upgrades around our house that really helped when we got it appraised. We basically got it appraised for the highest dollar per square foot in the neighborhood, essentially. Nice job. So that's how we forced it, and then with natural. But let's talk specifics. What exactly did you
1: do at that house to force the appreciation.
0: A lot of basics, paint, updating light fixtures, new baseboard, that kind of stuff goes a long way. We also completely redid the backyard, redid the bathrooms. I'd say overall, we probably put 30 or 40,000 into it and we got every bit of that back in the appraisal. How much did you buy it for? 275.
1: You bought it for two seventy five. And how much did you put into it, would you say? Approximately thirty thousand?
0: Let's say thirty five.
1: Okay. And I apologize you just said thirty. So thirty to thirty five. Got it. So you put in about thirty thirty-five and you bought it for two seventy $270 what? Two seventy-five. Two seventy five. So quick math three oh five and it appraised for three forty. Yeah. And some of that was the neighborhood appreciating Over the period of time that you owned it, and then another part of it was just being the best house in the neighborhood, and the proof in the pudding is it was valued at a higher price per square foot than any other home in the neighborhood.
0: Essentially, yeah.
1: Cool. All right. Well, congratulations on that. And You said that finding a lender to give you a HELOC for 100% of the loan to value was challenging. And I'd like to know, and I'm sure a lot of listeners would, how did you find that lender?
0: So most lenders want to go up to 80% max. There's some that would go up to 90%. Honestly, I used Google and just kept calling. And this credit union in San Diego happened to have a 100% LTV program. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's others out there, but this Mm -hmm. is the one I was able to find that would lend to a property in California. How many phone calls did you make? Dozens. (laughs) Dozens. <laughs> I, I spent probably a couple of weeks because I, I knew they were out there. I had heard of it, but it's one thing to know that it's out there, but it's another thing to actually find it. Mm-hmm. So I'd say I spent a couple of weeks just Googling and calling, and, and then I found it, and it was super easy from there. I've, I've referred them to quite a few people now.
1: was a difference in your case, it's easy math. There's a difference between if it's 90%, $10,000. If it was 80%, then it was $20,000, right? Yeah. So you got that line of credit, and then what did you do with the line of credit? And I understand that we're still going through your five-step process, but I'd love to hear what you did exactly with that 100 k once you had access to it.
0: I essentially used that to buy my first rental. So using a HELOC when you're buying a property, it's essentially the same as cash. Mm -hmm. So I used that to purchase my first rental in Columbus outright.
1: Okay. And what are the numbers on that purchase
0: price, renovation costs? What's it rent for? What's the value of it? The first one's a three bedroom, one bath with a garage that we found on the MLS. They were asking 65, and this was actually on day one of looking for a property. <laughs> so I just by chance got lucky. They were asking 65 and my realtor said, Hey, this one's going to go fast. If you want it, you should probably offer a little more. So we offered 71 they accepted the next morning rehab was about 18,000 and it appraised for about 107,000 once I refinanced it wonderful yeah
1: you say six months later okay got it six months later you're done with the rehabs and it appraises for about 10 15k more than what you're all in at yeah okay cool congratulations on that right out of the gate it's day one of looking on the MLS and you're making not only your offer, but you're making an offer higher than what's being asked for the property. Any thoughts in your head going on at the time? Like, wait a second, <laughs> what's going on? What am I doing here? I'm making an offer day one of looking. One, am I jumping the gun? Then two, listen, I see that you want 65000 seller, but... I'm going to hook you up with $71,000. Like Any alarm bells going off? It ended up being a good deal, it sounds like, but were any internal dialogue that you had about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Of course, it can be nerve-wracking to buy something that really I've never seen, right? My realtor, he's fantastic. He walks through it and sends me a very detailed video as he walks through the property and kind of points everything out, and then we come up with a rehab budget. But ultimately... You've got to be prepared to just kind of make that decision on the spot. If you overanalyze everything and overthink it, you're never going to knock out that first deal and you're never going to get to that second deal. So eventually I had to take that leap of faith and realize that I'm dealing with a realtor that I had known at that point for at least a month. He has fantastic reviews on Zillow, Realtor, anywhere you can check. He's got five stars with hundreds of reviews and dozens and dozens of recent sales. So at some point you've got to realize that Somebody with that kind of a reputation is most likely not going to risk that reputation to make a couple thousand bucks on a commission, right? Mm And not to say it doesn't happen, but that was kind of my thought process that at some point I have to trust that his advice is solid and my research is solid and just got to take that leap of faith. And I knew the market was hot and I wanted that first deal. and, And at 71, I knew it was still a good deal.
1: Earlier, you said we... When you said we were looking at the MLS, was that you and your real estate agent, or was that you and your business partner, significant other? My agent. Your agent, okay. And are you single? No, I'm married. So what was the conversation like with your significant other? Hey, I'm going to look at properties today. Oh, I'm going to buy a property. Oh, I'm going to make an offer more than what's being asked for this property And as you know, we're going to use the equity we have built up in this house to purchase it.
0: So it's a crazy process, especially buying it with HELOC or essentially cash. You sign everything over DocuSign, essentially. It's not like a typical mortgage where you have a notary. So it's crazy. You're buying a house and you're just doing these electronic signatures, right? It's a crazy process. And she trusts me. I had done a lot of research and she knew that I kind of knew what I was looking at. And I'd found the best realtor I could essentially find who owns dozens of his own rental properties. So the rental property is nothing new to him. And eventually she trusted me and I trusted the process and I trusted my agent. And we just kind of went for it.
1: Step one, learning to identify strategy. Step three, identifying where or how you're going to fund the property. What's
0: step four? So step four was where I found the market. I've had a lot of new investors reach out to me on bigger pockets, especially saying, this is where I can tell they get stuck and they get stuck in analysis paralysis. And in my opinion, a lot of times they overanalyze this part, identifying a market. I've heard people say they identified thousands of markets and this and that. And to me, that's more important, the bigger you go. But for a single family home, I think you just need to stick to some of the basics. Because in reality, that home is surrounded by other property owners, and you can do all the research in the world, but nobody knows exactly what that neighborhood's gonna look like in 20 years. You don't have the kind of control that you would with like an apartment complex, right? Mm -hmm. So I tried to stick to the basics. Priority number one was price to rent ratio. So I wanted that strong cash flow. So I started just basically networking and doing some basic research to identify. Where are people talking about the cash flow is? And, and, and then I would kind of follow up by just looking at some basic data of what are homes selling for and what are they renting for? And then, of course, overall, you want to look for good employment and population data. You obviously don't want it to be dependent on one industry. And so Columbus seemed to be strong in that aspect. I wasn't too concerned about long-term appreciation right now. And in the Midwest, typically you're not going to find that as much. So from there, I kind of narrowed it down to five or 10 markets pretty easily and finally just kind of picked one and jumped in. I was looking for neighborhoods with low crime, B minus to C ratings, mm-hmm. and then I wanted to be all in for under 100000
1: Now, one follow-up question I should have asked you about that property that you bought with the home equity line of credit. I asked you the numbers. We talked about how much you bought it for, how much you put into it. You bought it for sixty five you put in about 18k what it appraised for afterwards but what's it
0: rent for it rents for 1150 and it's a good neighborhood the renters that i'm getting they work for banks and solid jobs like that so it's a cash on cash return plus or minus 28% after expenses i'm cash flowing about 350 bucks amazing
1: that is a good cash flow so how do you think about that with your line of credit because you did buy it all cash so if you look at, hey, I'm making, say, $350 on that amount of out-of-pocket, your cash-on-cash cash return out of from that standpoint is not as strong as if you had leverage.
0: Yeah, so that doesn't take into account that the money came from a HELOC. Mm-hmm. Exactly, but that's a great point.
1: Any plans to refinance that out into a loan and get access to HELOC money again?
0: Well, no, I guess I never explained. It. So when I refinanced at six months, I then paid off the HELOC.
1: Ah, oh, got, it, got it, got it. Okay, cool.
0: Good. Yeah. So during that six months, I was putting my own cash paying off the HELOC to the point where when I refinanced, essentially my HELOC was whole again. Mm-hmm. So in reality, I did have essentially my own cash in the deal. I ended up being about twelve or thirteen thousand overall. So at twenty five, twenty-eight percent cash on cash, I'm pretty happy with that. I think everyone would be pretty happy with that.
1: Nice work. So what are the numbers on all three of the properties? We talked about the first one, so we don't have to talk about the first one.
0: Yeah. So what's funny you asked about was it nerve wracking buying more than they were asking? That was actually my best deal. So the second and third are pretty close. But the second one again we found it on the MLS. They were asking sixty nine five and we bought it for sixty nine five. Put about seventeen thousand into it. I'm refinancing it now and it it should appraise for about one hundred and ten. And I've got a renter in there for eleven twenty five. And again, cash flow after expenses, it's about three fifty a month. And the third one. And the third one. That one's a little trickier. So all three of these are three bedroom one bath. This one we got from a wholesaler. He was asking eighty. We bought it for seventy-seven $5. It's occupied, and I've had to put about thousand dollars or so into it. They needed a new fridge and some smaller repairs. I'm refinancing that as well, and it should appraise for about a hundred. My problem there, and I've realized how difficult it is to take over an occupied property. He was only paying five eighty a month, and market rents about a thousand. They're on a fixed income, so I'm trying to raise it slowly, hopefully to 800 or so shortly, and then I'll, I'll try to kind of raise it at 10% or, or so after that per year. So once I get it up to market rent, I'll hopefully cash flow about 300 bucks a month. But right now, I'm kind of breaking even.
1: Three bedroom, one bath for all three of them. Why that setup instead of, say, four bedroom, two bath?
0: We've put in offers on some four-bedroom, two-bath, and I think the cash flow would be even better. We just haven't been successful yet. For some reason in this area, in Columbus, there's a substantial amount of three-bedroom, one-bath homes, which I'm not used to as much. At least it seems like in California, you see a lot of three-bedroom, two-bath. But yeah, that's just kind of the hot spot right now, what we've been successful with.
1: What's step five of your strategy? Steps one, learn, two, identify strategy, three, funding, four, market, five. So five
0: is finding the team. So that's where I found my real estate agent. One of my favorite quotes from David Green, rock stars, no rock stars. And that couldn't be more true, at least from my experience. So my agent introduced me to a great lender. And then I've also been introduced through other investors to a good property manager that I've recently hired. And it's been good. You found the agent through what method? Essentially just on Zillow. I said, I'm going to go ahead and just try to call the highest rated guy I can find and go from there. So Zillow shows you who has the most recent sales and the highest ratings in the area. And he kept popping up. So I said, "Ah, he probably won't be able to take me on right now, but I'll give him a call. And we just kind of clicked and I had a good strategy in mind and he saw that and he kind of had a good idea of what I was looking for and it
1: worked out great. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: I would say don't overthink it when starting out. Think of the first few properties as the learning experience and look for base hits. I wouldn't say any of my deals have been home runs, but the amount I've learned is unbelievable and my cash flow is stronger than expected. If I'd been waiting for the perfect deal, I'd probably still have zero properties right now.
1: Based on what you've learned, how would you approach deal number one differently if presented the exact same thing now?
0: I don't know that I would change deal number one. I think it's funny enough, but I think- Deal number three, <laughs> the tenant? Where I could use, I could use some- uh... <laughs> Deal number one, I think the biggest thing was a six month seasoning for the cash out refi. I've since done a lot of research and figured out a way around that. How? From what I'm told, is essentially you put the rehab price on the settlement statement, you put it on the purchase side, on the seller side, because when you do a cash out refi, essentially you can refinance out what you purchased it for. So if you put the rehab on the purchase side, you can refinance out the purchase price and the rehab. That's yet to be done, but on my next purchase, that's what I'm hoping to do so that I can refinance it out as soon as I finish rehab.
1: We're doing a lightning round. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah. Now let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners.
0: Groundbreaker helps
1: you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, that's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, to get a free deal pitch deck template. Bob Malecki and his team at Resolution Capital Management partner with individuals to invest in distressed residential mortgage notes. If you're interested in doing a joint venture with them, where basically you invest alongside with them and sharing a portion of the profits based on how well that individual project goes, then go to rcm.company forward slash JV. That's rcm.company forward slash JV.
0: Best ever book you recently read? Funny enough, when I got asked to do this podcast, I had just finished your book, Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book. It was fantastic. Glad
1: to hear that. What is the best ever way you like to give back to the community?
0: I've been networking a lot recently, sharing the numbers for my first three deals with new investors, and a lot of them have reached out to me, private message me, and, and I've been trying to give back in that way.
1: On that note, how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and get in touch with you?
0: You can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, or even preferably just email me, tcaglia, R-E-I at gmail.com.
1: Tyler, thanks so much for being on the show, talking about your five-step process, for how you get started and put idea to actually action. And then the lessons you've learned on each of the three purchases, how you got creative. And quite frankly, just you make it happen with what you want to do from Google searching and continuing to call the credit unions till you find one that is what you're looking for with the line of credit to just taking a very practical approach of, hey, I'm going to find the best agent rated on Zillow. And I'm going to call him or her and I'm going to try and work with them. <laughs> it like, makes a lot of sense. It's very practical and logical, but you also have to have persistence and you clearly show that. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best every day. day. Talk to you again soon.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it.